You know, this past week, I have to admit, my wife and I were a little excited, a little giddy about a show that had been on hiatus, has finally returned. That's right, my friends. My wife and I are This Is Us fans. And we were excited for the season premiere that took place this past week. You know, and in that show, there was a character by the name of Jack who was facing a very difficult time. You know, his wife was have, in childbirth and having difficulties, and it was in question whether she would survive and if the babies would survive. And he was so overwhelmed with the emotions and so overwhelmed with the moment that he ran down to the chapel to pray. And can I just be honest, as I watched this show, I was just so blown away by the prayer that this character did on the show. It is one of the most real and authentic prayers I feel I've ever seen. You know, it just came from the heart. It was real. It was true. It was authentic. What we talked about last week about striving to have that in our lives. You know, Jack's character is someone who's had a hard life. His dad was, was abusive and, 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 and an alcoholic, and it was a difficult upbringing for him. And then there he was in that moment in the hospital chapel facing doubt that many of us face today. And he prayed these words. He said, I remember seeing my dad pray as a kid. I never knew what he was praying about, but I was hoping he was praying to change. So then I began to pray. I prayed that it would work. And then when he never did change, that's when I gave up. And then the character Jack said, everything you told me has been, and I apologize for the vulgarness in this, everything that you've told me has been crap. But still I kept trying, he prayed. You know, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever struggled with those type of feelings, those type of doubts? You know, in your quiet moments, maybe you cry out like that character, God, if there is even a God, where are you? Where are you? Have you cried that cry? Have you prayed that prayer? You know, statistically, it's been said that two out of every three Christians admit to experiencing some level of spiritual doubt. And more more than a quarter of Christ followers still find themselves doubting in some level. And the most common response that we as Christians, that Christians tend to have when spiritual doubt faces us is quit attending church, that we move away from church, that we stop going to church. And I think it's safe to say that there are several people watching right now that are in that point. There are many of you right now that had that struggle. Many of you right now that are on the fence of where you stand with God. And I pray that maybe today you just hear me out today. Take a moment to understand something. You can turn your doubt into hope when God's presence seems non-existent. You know, how can we do that? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Because doubt, as we've been saying, is a necessary part of our spiritual journey. But it can be crippling. It can beat us down. But doubt is okay. Doubt is a part of the journey. You know, 
Let's first look at a story in Mark 9 as we begin with Jesus and his disciples. You know, here they were, this was during uh, Jesus' height of his popularity. And in Mark 9, the disciples and Jesus came across a crowd of people that were in a significant argument. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about? What's going on? And then the father approached Jesus and said this, they're arguing about my son. My son has been possessed by an evil spirit, and it throws him into convulsions and, and, and makes him do bad choices and tries to throw him into lakes and fires to kill himself. And he just constantly is having trouble. And they're arguing about my son. And your disciples, I asked them to please drive the spirit out, but they couldn't. They couldn't do anything. And then Jesus, in that moment, questioned them and said, You unbelieving generation, what's wrong with you? And then Jesus had the family bring the boy to him. And he asked, How long has he been like this? And the, child, and the father says, He's been like this since he was a young boy. And he says, And then the father says, If you can do anything, if you can do anything, please help my son. And I love Jesus' response in this moment. If I can? If I can do anything? What, what are you talking about? Everything is possible for those who believe. And then the Father says this in Mark 9, verse 24. I do believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know, throughout Jesus' ministry, there are situations just like this, revealing the possibilities through what we think is improbable. Jesus shows, hey, you might think it's not possible, but let me show you something. Through me, everything is possible. The disciples, they were with Jesus, yet often they struggled with their belief. So many times the disciples who walked with Jesus struggled with their doubt. You see, my friends, many times we limit our belief to what we can prove in space and time. And we put Jesus in a box. But he is bigger than that. You know, while our desires are not to do wrong, I don't think any of us want to do wrong or go against Jesus, we sometimes take a journey in an attempt to enlighten our minds that only causes us to seek deeper into quicksand of our own futile thinking and what we think is wisdom. In many ways, we try to explain the, a supernatural and eternal God in our own limited understanding within this physical realm. And if we are unable to explain him within the limitations of space and time, then for some of us, we just write him off. But maybe Jesus is bigger than space and time. You know, in many ways, we limit him in our belief to what we think we can understand in our own physical world. In essence, we fall prey to what the Apostle Paul was describing in his letter to the Romans in Romans 1. Paul writes these words. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they know God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. You see, my friends, sometimes we overlook it, but know this. Evidence of God's existence is in our created world. There is evidence of God and that he exists within our own created world. You see, God's invisible qualities are clearly seen. We are without excuse. It's there, right in front of us, right in front of us. You know, a recent study revealed that, that suggested, I'm sorry, that 33% of young adults say they are not sure if they believe in God. And over 40% of those studied either are not sure or don't believe that Jesus was a real person, that he did not walk this earth. You see, my friends, Jesus is real. He existed. He walked this earth. He was God in the flesh. And the word science, actually in its most basic meaning, means knowledge. And through God's natural order of his creation, we gain knowledge of his invisible qualities. You know, there's an author by the name of Lee Strobel. And he wrote a book called Case for Christ. I really encourage you, if you've never read, read that, to read that. See, this is Lee Strobel's kind of story. He was an atheist. He was uh, studied as a lawyer, and he was uh, a, a, an, an author and a writer. And he went to the Bible, and his whole objective was to disprove it and question everything he possibly could. But through that journey, he came to the undeniable truth that the Bible is true. God exists. And Lee gave his life to Jesus through that journey. I encourage you to read that book as he went through that whole journey to experience the reality of Christ. You know, there's an old, there's a Christmas cartoon show that came out several years ago. It's my, one of my oldest son's favorite Christmas show called The Polar Express about this young boy's journey on a train to go see Santa simply because he was struggling and believing the reality of Santa anymore. And then when he saw him, he was overwhelmed with joy and he realized Santa is real. Now we know that's all fictional. But for many of us, we do the same thing to Jesus. We create him to be a fictional character, and in some ways, we just don't believe anymore. But there's a classic line in that movie that, says, that the conductor says to this young boy, seeing is believing, but sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. Sometimes the most things in our world are the things that we actually cannot see. Because God is working. There is evidence of God that exists in our created world. With that, we also need to understand 
that God is not limited to space and time. He's not limited to our physical reality. You know, the problem tends to be not that there is no evidence of God's existence, but that we are unable to fully explain the existence of God to the limitations of our own understanding within space and time. God is spiritual, and he is eternal. That means he is outside the box of the physical world. He's outside the box of space and time. And as creator, he is not limited to the, to the confines of his creation. He works outside of it and sometimes within it. Yet so often, we try to limit our understanding to space and time, disregarding the reality of his supernatural abilities. He's not limited to space and time. And finally, sometimes our attempt to enlighten ourselves causes us to overlook the clear evidence of God at work. Sometimes our attempt to enlighten ourselves causes us to overlook clear evidence of God at work. In Romans 1, Paul wrote, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, image, for images to look like mortal. In other words, they gave up trying to understand God's existence in the eternal and the supernatural and the spiritual realm and said, I want something physical that I can understand. And they turned away from God because of that. You know, many people in, in our area, they got the wrath this summer on Business 376 when this construction was going on and there was a speed trap set up a, a, with cameras. And I know many of you sitting there can raise your hands. I got the wrath, whether it was a warning or an actual ticket. But if you were like me, you drove down Business 376 right past the big old sign that said, there is a camera speed trap, and you flew on by because your attention, like mine, was distracted from the obvious to where you needed to go. And can I just be real with you for a moment? I think so often in our own life, in our own personal journey, we get distracted. We get distracted from the obvious because we're more focused on where we want to go or what we want to do. We're more focused on space and time than the spiritual and eternal. Our focus on our own agenda has a tendency to distract us from the obvious reality that God is there in front of us. He's working within our own reality even though he lives and exists outside of the box of space and time. He is spiritual. He is eternal. He is the creator. He is God. And in many ways, because we are unable to explain the supernatural reality of God, we exchange our lack of understanding to something that we can try to explain in our physical understandings. And then like the Bible says, we try to be wise, but we only make ourselves fools. 
ultimately, at some point, we need to rely on faith. At some level, we need to rely on faith. This is where it gets all tricky, my friends. We believe what we see. And if we can't see it with our own eyes, if we can't hear it with our own ears, if we can't touch it with our own sense of touch, then, then we just don't believe it. But all this does is cause us to miss out on the reality of God. It's written in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Basically, the, this is the truth behind all this. Hope, biblically speaking, is a certainty. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's not a maybe, it's not a could happen. It is this will happen. You can count on it. And that's what's saying here. We have confidence because of the hope we have. And because of how God proved his faithfulness in the past, like through Abraham, with who we talked about last week, we can have confidence that he and his faithfulness and his promises will come true today. You can have confidence. He's proven his faithfulness all throughout time. And to gain a better understanding of this on a personal level, level, we need to make the effort to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our faith. And to grow in our faith, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. To put it more plainly, our faith develops as we invest more of ourselves in our connection with Jesus and his word. The more you invest into him, the more you receive his benefits and his rewards in your life. You know, investment is all about what you get in return. I know you know this. Maybe you invest in retirement funds or you invest in your kids' activities or you invest yourself in your job or whatever it may be. Every one of us invests, whether it's finances or time, we invest our lives into something. And the reason we invest into it is because we expect a certain return from it. Yet so many times we lack in the investment into our relationship with Jesus, and we wonder why there's no return. Our rewards, our gain, ultimately comes from what we invest in. And think about it. In your life, in the time that you spend, in the person that you are, in the resources that you have, what do you tend to invest in? That's where you're receiving your rewards. The more we invest in Jesus, the more we experience him. We need to rely on our faith and grow and know him more, to experience him more. But here's another struggle with all this. Because I know there's many of you watching this. You're like, Bill, I'm doing this. But here's the struggle. Even with a strong faith, doubt still exists. It still does. 
It did for the disciples. They walked with him for three and a half years. They saw his miracles. They heard his teachings. They heard his voice, yet they still doubted. And so do we. So do we. Look what's happened with the disciples at the end of their journey, towards the end of their journey with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, the Bible says, when they saw him, that's the disciples, when they saw him, they worshiped him, get this, but some doubted. Understand the situation here. They just spent all this time with Jesus. They saw him do some pretty incredible stuff. They saw him arrested. They saw him put to death. They, and, and now he's alive again. But still, some doubted. And in John 20, we get even a more intimate with the disciples in this doubt. And more specifically, we're introduced to the struggle with Thomas, who became famously known as Doubting Thomas because of his encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. At this time, the disciples, they were crippled with fear. Jesus was put to death. They weren't sure what would happen to them. And in this moment, three days after his resurrection, on the Sunday evening, they locked themselves in a house because they were so fearful that the Roman government or the Jewish leaders were going to come and get them. They were so fearful of all what was going to happen. At this point, they heard the rumors about Jesus being coming back to life. They had an inclination of what was going on, but still they were so afraid. The disciples then were overjoyed when they saw Jesus come into this room. He, he came to them and he spoke to them and he appeared to them in a locked space. And they're just like, this is amazing. Jesus is alive. Jesus is here. It's real. But the Bible specifically says there was one disciple who was not with them in that encounter with Jesus when Jesus appeared to them in that house. His name was Thomas. And then the Bible says, so the other, uh, in John 20, I'm sorry, in John 20, verse 25, the Bible says, so the other disciples told him, that's Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. See what Thomas did there? Like so many of us. And I hear what you're saying. Sounds all great. But unless I can see with my own eyes, unless I can hear with my own ears, unless I can actually touch it, I'm not going to believe. I don't believe it. And from there, all the disciples, they went on their way. And then an entire week went by. And I can just imagine the thoughts that consumed Thomas's mind as he was thinking through the disciples who got to see Jesus, who supposedly got to see Jesus, and he just didn't believe it. I can just imagine the thoughts that, that festered and gnawed at him all week long. You know, thoughts like, they all claim they saw him. Why didn't I see him? It's impossible. There's no way he's alive. I saw what they did to him. I saw his dead body. And if Jesus is alive, why did he come to me? Why did he appear to me? Why did he appear to everybody else but me? You know, Thomas has plenty of time for these questions to gnaw at his mind. Then, after that long week, all the disciples were back together in the same house. Again, the doors are locked because they are so afraid of what might happen. 
then the Bible says, with the locked doors, Jesus stood among them. You know, I don't know how it happened. I don't know if Jesus kind of phased through that door or if he just mysteriously and miraculously appeared. I don't know. But something miraculous happened there and Jesus was, boom, there he was. And then Jesus acknowledges the group and he says, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas. Verse 27 through 29 of John 20. Jesus then says to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, like Thomas, we question God's existence. Our doubt often consumes us because maybe we, we don't understand the workings of God or maybe we struggle seeing the existence of him working supernaturally outside the confines of space and time. Either way, like Thomas, many of us struggle in believing in the existence of God because maybe he let us down. Maybe he disappointed us. Maybe we don't have the life we, ha we want to have. But Jesus' words to Thomas should motivate us today as he revealed himself and gave Thomas more evidence of his existence and his workings. Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. In other words, Jesus is saying, here is more proof that I am here. What more do you want? What more do you want, Thomas? I have all the evidence. I am here. I also disappeared in this room, by the way, and the doors were locked. You know, my friends, the evidence of God is there. See it, seek it, and believe it. Some may say, well, this is all just a fairy tale. There's no way. I still don't believe this. Well, then, that's your prerogative. But know this. Sometimes things are true whether you believe them or not. And I believe there's overwhelming evidence of the reality of God. The other thing that Jesus said to Thomas that should motivate us today is, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, we gotta stop trying to know everything. Stop trying to have it all figured out. At some point, you need to just trust him. When I get on an airplane to go somewhere, you know, I have to be honest with you. I just walk right on that plane. I find my seat. I put my bag away. I sit down and I just start chillaxing until the plane takes off and we get to where we're going. I've never in, uh, in interviewed the pilot I've never went up to the cockpit to make sure all the instruments are working. I never walked around the plane to make sure everything is okay with the plane. You know why? Because I have just put my faith into the pilot to do what they're supposed to do and get me to where I want to go safely. We put our faith all the time in things that we don't fully understand or comprehend so why do, we give it, why do we make it so difficult with Jesus? 
why do we make it so difficult with him? There are things that I cannot fully explain. Experiences that you will never fully be able to comprehend until you invest completely into Jesus. Through him, there are, there's just an expressible joy that the Bible reveals that you get every single day, that gets you through every single week simply because the reality of God. You'll never understand that until you just connect with him. God is real. And if you just seek him, if you just see him, if you just believe him, I know you will experience him. I know you will. Let me leave you with this final scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. My friend, my friends, seek him. See him and believe him. And in that moment, I know you will experience him. Let's pray together. Father, we just love you so much. And may we just run towards you. Lord, we will have doubts. Even the disciples did who were physically with you. But Lord, like Thomas, like the disciples, may we seek you, may we see you, and may we believe you. And Lord, in those moments, may we experience you in a whole new way. Lord, guide us toward your heart. Guide us toward your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.